Good morning, and greet you in Jesus' name, and I welcome you to our service here this morning. I, too, have certainly enjoyed the uh, service thus far, the devotional and the Sunday school time. Um, It's a subject that, I guess, never gets old. As long as the world stands, I suspect there will be those among us that are married and those that are single, and and uh, we'll look at Paul's writings and try to figure it out, and we probably never will completely, but uh, it's good to look at it and talk about it anyway. So you can turn again to the book of James this morning, if you would. Um, I'm uh, going to speak out of this again, another aspect of uh, what I'm calling authentic, true religion that James seems to be concerned about, and I think rightly so. James is writing to Christians. That's the interesting part of this book, this letter. And he donates or he uh, gives a lot of uh, print time to this whole I, this whole um, idea or this uh, thought of how we talk. And it comes up in chapter 1, a few verses, and then he dedicates quite a few verses in chapter 3 on this whole thing of our speech, words, so on. You know, words are a very integral part of our lives. I, you know, when you, when you think about it, just imagine if we couldn't talk to one another, that would just be such a hindrance. Um, we just take it so for granted. And yet, uh, you know, words really define who we are and how we are perceived by others and by God. And we could, we could spend a lot of time sitting here talking for a while about the grave consequences that come from just a few words that are spoken by someone in a time or place that ended up being uh, just having unbelievably far-reaching consequences. And I'm going to give you just a little story here. So my, uh, my parents back there in Pennsylvania have a neighbor that works for the local uh, Army Depot. It's been there since I don't know when, a long time, Letterkenny Army Depot. And he works there, or he did work there. And uh, uh, so that was his, the man's job. And he, had a, he, has, he has a wife, I guess. I guess he still has her. I'm not sure what the status is there. But his wife ran up a, um, an incredible credit card bill. I, I don't know what the figure was, but it was incredibly large, unbeknownst to him. And uh, well, he received his credit card bill in the mail and uh, was um, uh, duly uh, wild by the by the amount of money that his his wife was able to to ratchet up on that bill, and he wasn't very pleased. And and at work, he went to work um, a day or so after this this invoice had arrived in the mail, and he um, he made a comment to a coworker that he could shoot he could shoot his wife. Now now that's. That's pretty, that's pretty hard language. But in the day we live in, unfortunately, people will glibly say that kind of thing and not really mean it, okay? But that was the kind of language he used. Well, again, because of the world we live in, you can't say that to the wrong person and get away with, with that kind of thing. The, the wrong person heard it and reported him to management, and he was immediately fired for those words. And so he lost his job, 
And now he needs another job. Well, he, he can't get, a, he it doesn't matter what he puts on his resume. Whenever somebody goes back and inquires why he was fired from Letterkenny, well, it was because of these things he said. Well, nobody wants him. So now not only does he not have a job, his, his bank account is dwindling. He has the big credit card bill. And he had plans to buy a house. He can't do that anymore. And so his life has been brought to a halt because he says, I could shoot my wife. I mean, it was uncalled for, and he shouldn't have said it. I get that. But I'm just trying to impress upon us how how unbelievable the consequences can be of a very short statement that's made in perhaps the heat of the moment and uh, has very uh, long-lasting consequences. I think this little story uh, gives us several things we can think about. Sometimes what we mean by what we say and what is understood by what we say can be very different. Uh, I don't think this man actually meant that he was going to do that. In his mind, I think he was speaking in hyperbole, but that's not the way it was understood. And so uh, he would have been much better off to weigh his words a bit more carefully. I think also this little story um, shows the difficulty or perhaps the impossibility of trying to retract a statement once it leaves a person's mouth. And uh, for sure, the wisdom of restraint in the world of words. Well, let's uh, look here at the book of James, and let's just read these verses that, um, that we have before us, and then we'll, uh, we'll just unpack it a bit. So uh, the first verse is in uh, chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, again, note that he's talking to brethren, Christian people, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Okay, so now let's drop down to verse 26. He says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, let's go over to chapter 3, and let's pick up um, a, um, we'll read a, a number of verses here, verses 1 through 12. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in words, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us, and we Turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be, that the fountains send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter. 
Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. And we'll stop reading there. Now, we're just going to look at these verses one at a time, and we're going to uh, determine what James is trying to teach us from these verses. And it is interesting to me that James pretty much dedicates the entirety of his uh, of his teaching on the use of our tongues to the damage that can be done when a tongue is not properly tamed, I guess, to use his language. So in, in chapter 1 and verse 19, the conclusion here, I think, is that we have a t- tendency to talk more than we listen. And um, it's very, very obvious that's what James is saying here. And I think it is no real surprise that he says we should be swift to hear, slow to speak, and then he goes slow to wrath. And I think that if we flip that and we are quick to speech and we are not very good at listening, that probably will spawn wrath in our lives, okay? At least other people will be mad at us for sure, probably. So we need to listen carefully, speak sparingly. And generally, if we take that advice, we will avoid a lot of frustration and conflict, perhaps. And, uh, um, you know, going back to the little thing I talked about earlier, um, a few of us, I know, uh, at least attempted to, uh, to look at the first debate between Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden. And I don't know that I know anybody that got through that thing the whole way. It was a, it was a classic example of two men who would not listen to each other, who would speak over one another. And I believe pretty much the entire world was repulsed by the performance. Now, these were two ungodly people, and probably the one was, was worse than the other. But um, it, it, was a, it was a classic example of what happens when nobody has any intention of learning or being informed, but are very selfish and arrogant and think they have a lot to share with the world. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that we would be well to remember. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be be few. The proverb writer has a few verses Quite similar. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. See thou a man hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. So why should we be slow to speak and swift to hear? Well, I think as a rule, if we weigh our words carefully uh, and think about them a bit, generally speaking, we will reframe and refine them probably a bit, and probably what ends up coming out will be more profitable. Uh, I would guess that probably communication is rarely good when it is on impulse, probably rarely. Um, I would say that's probably one of the big advantages of communication by something like email or perhaps even texting. Um, one, One can actually put what he wants to say down on, not paper, but some electronic form of media or paper, and he can read it. 
And he can see what it says, and he can say, well, does that sound, is that, does that reflect what I want to say? And he can perhaps add to or take away as he sees, as he sees fits, fit. I will say this, there was a time when Jesus told his disciples that um, they shouldn't give a lot of thought to what they're going to say whenever they're brought before kings and authorities, because he said, in that time when you're there, the Holy Spirit will tell you what you ought to speak. And so there would be an example, I guess, where, where Jesus was saying that rather than try to conjure up in your mind how the, how the conversation might go, just leave it up to me. But he does stress that this thing is going to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And when it is guided of the Holy Spirit, whether it's on impulse or whether it's been thought through carefully, it'll be the right thing. You know, here's, here's a very simplistic statement. But did you ever think about it that you and I will learn more from people when we interact with them if we just sit there and listen? And uh, we will, again, I will emphasize, we will avoid the, the, um, the thing of having to take back statements or saying things that are unkind or untrue or being misunderstood if we're just slow to speak. I had to think of Paul at his trial there with the Sanhedrin in Acts 23. And it would have been interesting to be at that trial. But if you'll remember, Ananias the high priest said to uh, a person that was sitting by Paul, Paul made a statement that he had a clear conscience before God and before man, and that really riled Ananias. He did not like that statement at all. And he told the guy beside Paul, he said, smite him on the cheek. And Paul says to Ananias, he said, God smite you, you whited sepulcher. And people around Paul there said, really? You would talk that way to the, to the Lord's high priest? And Paul immediately apologized. He said, I did not know that the man that spoke to me was God's high priest. And he retracted that statement. I only give that, um, that illustration to, to make two points. I think Paul probably spoke a bit on impulse there, probably. But Paul immediately recognized that he said the wrong thing and immediately took care of the problem, to his credit. I would say there's probably almost never a time when the decision to speak is better than the decision not to speak. But... I will, I have to put in the word almost there because I think there is only one caveat. And that is when we're in a situation where, where the truth is being tramped upon and we know it. Or that we know that some, the gospel is being, uh, shunned or it is being evil spoken of. And we know that. And it's time to stand up for the gospel. Those are times I believe that it's okay to speak and probably not as good if we keep silence because we give some sort of tacit assent to things that are inappropriate if we do. But I would say even in those situations, weighing one's words will have great advantage. Um, Think with me about Jesus at his trial. Um, There would have been times as you read through the trial of Jesus, you would say, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been appropriate for him to say something here? You know, when the soldiers were mocking him 
and kind of demanding an answer from him. And he just didn't say anything. And there's a part of uh, me anyway, when I read that, it say, you know, I think Jesus could have said something there would have been appropriate. But, you know, Jesus didn't say very much at his trial. But the few things that he did say carry an awful lot of weight. And uh, if you look at the words of Jesus, through the trial and crucifixion, there's probably been sermons and Sunday school lessons and books, etc., written around those few sentences and paragraphs that he that he did speak at uh, at his trial. So the lesson, the takeaway from this verse, let's slow it down. Let's listen a little close, more closely, speak a little less hastily, and uh, admittedly, this will probably come easier for some of us than others. All right, let's go to um, verse 26 now of chapter 1. We read that already. Basically what James here is saying, that the authenticity of a person's spiritual life can be easily ascertained by the words that he speaks. What he's saying is it ends up being, a person's words ends up being a a barometer and shows everyone he meets where he is spiritually. There's several principles here that I think rise to the top. Uh, I think it is okay and proper to expect certain behavior from people who make the claim that they are Christians. So what James is saying here is that if you seem to be religious, then, then there is a certain... Um, characteristics about your speech that other people can expect and are completely proper to expect. You know, it is not completely uncommon for people to want the respect that comes with a profession of Christianity, but for various reasons, they either can't or they don't live up to that profession. Either they truly haven't been converted, and so their heart has never changed, and so their their mouth is just a testament of that. Or perhaps they have ulterior motives for the profession. Perhaps they are Christians because it gains some sort of status or level of trust that can't be had in any other way. Or perhaps they are Christians, or um, they seem to be religious, as James puts it, because that's what's expected of them. Perhaps they have inherited some form of godliness but have been denied the power or they have not tapped into the power. As I said before, I think the lesson here is that our the entirety of our life, whether it's our speech, whether it's our actions, whether it's our appearance, will 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 tell others exactly who we are that that's what james is saying very 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 easy easy language here that james uses i will say this um uh i occasionally get into uh into um farms uh, with seed sales that i don't know the farmer i've never met before for some reason and and so i get on this place and i meet him and uh that's always an interesting experience when you don't know anybody f- from Adam, like we say, and we, we meet him for the first time, uh, you will quickly gain an impression of a person within the first five, ten minutes. You know, what kind of a person is this? Um, it's amazing that, that the kind of stuff we're processing and calculating and, and thinking about this person. And, and it's often subconsciously. But there's one thing that I have um, 
that I, I quickly notice, it, it, it's something that rises very quickly to the top, for me anyway, is how the man looks and how he talks, especially how he talks. Um, it is a rare, it is a rare day today that I will meet a farmer and he can get by talking to me for 15 minutes, let's say, without using some sort of profanity in, in his language. It, it's, it's pretty, it's so common that, uh, you almost don't think about it until you meet somebody that doesn't use it. And you say, now that's different. I talked to this man for half an hour and never once did he use profanity. That stands out to me. And it has come to the point that that stands out to me so much that if that is the case and the rest of the aura about the man uh, is in line with what I think a Christian should look and act and smell like, I'm tempted to say I think there's a, a much greater chance than average that this person is a Christian. And I'm basing it on what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. Jesus kind of confirms this in Matthew 12. Um, he's talking to the uh, the Pharisees here. He says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. You know, Jesus pointedly says that there is no disconnect between the heart and what is observed by others. And I would like to just gently warn us about a propaganda that I believe it is around today that we should not judge people by their actions. And if I understand the thought process correctly, it goes like this. I can have a good heart, but my circumstances can make me act poorly. And so I should not be judged for my actions. I simply need slack. Because I have a good heart, it's just that I'm a product of my surroundings and my upbringing, and so on and so on. Now I will say there's a there is a measure of truth to that. If um, if you have been raised in the ghettos, you have never been exposed to truth. Uh, You have no idea what uh, Christianity should be, and somebody uh, uh, preaches you the gospel and you accept that. I will give a person like that some slack that there's going to be some tremendous amount of growth that will have to be done. And perhaps what they would look like as a mature Christian that uh, has been well-versed in the gospel and has grown up a bit will look different than what he looks like if he's two months into his Christian walk. And, and, and if there's a measure of that goes with all of us. There's room for maturity. There's room for these kinds of things. So I want to, I want to get, I want to make room for that. But I do not believe that that will be a perpetual state that one will live in. Jesus pointedly says here that um, you can make some pretty good assumptions about me simply by what I say. If I'm a person who speaks harsh words, I snap at others, I use coarse language regularly, I slander freely, my, re- my words review who I am, and I stand condemned. James pronounces my religion as vain. So I think those are, those are sobering words. 
do I have a vain religion or don't I? And if, if you wonder about it, if I wonder about it, um, we probably could get some pretty good uh, significant uh, information from the people around us. Do I seem like a person that has a vain religion or don't I? All right, let's go into uh, chapter 3 now and uh, just uh, look at what James has to say here in, in chapter 3. So in verse 2, summarizing what he says, a man who can control his tongue <clears throat> has probably reached a level of discipline in his life that is spiritually superior to what most will reach. That's what I kind of see James saying here. I think we have to probably accept the fact that we as human beings, even Christians, will probably at some point in in our lives find ourselves offending others by our words at some point. And so let's be aware of that. Let that be a warning guide for us. And accept the fact that occasionally we will have to apologize for the things we said, even if we didn't intend to hurt. Um, if that's um, if that's what happened, why then uh, we have to we have to go back and and uh, deal with that problem. And I I would also just say that let's cut others some slack. Uh, let's realize that. If we have the the probability of offending somebody with our words, then it's then it's likely that at some point in time we could allow words that others speak to offend us. And so there's a little bit of a golden rule thing works in here, I think, even though James doesn't bring it out. Let's uh, let's try to develop thick skin. Um, let's try to be people that aren't easily offended. Uh, give people some benefit of the doubt that, you know, it maybe came out a little coarse, but he probably didn't quite mean it the way it came out. If we don't, if we don't allow others that grace, uh, we'll probably just end up going through life with a whole long list of things that people have said and done and, and whatever. And it's, it's a hard load to carry. And so I would just say, let's, let's be careful that, that we wear the shoe on the other foot too. Going into verses 3 to 5, uh, James uses several illustrations through here. And um, they're very simple. He says, you know, we put bits in horses' mouths and we run great ships with, uh, with small rudders and so on. And the, the, the illustration is, is, is very proper and it's very easily understood. There is a lot of power in a few words. Um, a, a sentence can pack an unbelievable punch if the right words are in that sentence. And I would dare say there has been many bitter family conflicts that have been ignited over a few words. I'm sure there's been churches and organizations that have been decimated over a few sentences. Now, generally, probably those few sentences aren't what culminated the problem, but that's what started it. And I'm sure that there's been friendships that have been uh, compromised by words that were misunderstood. So we get that. We we understand that, don't we? James goes on to, uh, in verses 5 and 6, and uh, he talks about this thing of a fire. He, he likens a tongue to an uncontrolled fire. Now let's just think about some things we know about a fire to um, 
to understand what kind of a, of a comparison James is making here. So one thing we know about fire is that certain conditions can cause a fire to get out of hand extremely quickly. Um, I, I remember back, I think it was the fall of 2011 or 12, I can't remember what year it was there, but one of those years, we had an extremely dry fall. And um, I was doing a bit of burning, um, and I remember that uh, there was a fire that quickly got out of hand because the, the conditions were right, and it, it just it just traveled all over the place. And had I not been there to quickly get it out of out of uh, yeah to, under control, it would have extreme. It would have got out of hand in a big way. And the comparison is so easy to make. Certain conditions will make words like a powder keg, okay? Whereas in, if you're in another situation, those same words um, wouldn't, go, wouldn't do anything, wouldn't cause any kind of a problem. So let's, let's just consider the, um, the, the conditions we're in uh, whenever we, we talk. Let's also be careful about um, if we know that situations are knowingly volatile or that the reception is questionable, I think, uh, I think we should be careful. Fires also cause irreparable damage. Um, we understand that. I mean, there's buildings that, uh, you know, look along Route 30 there, close to Leona's, and you'll see what I mean. That fire pretty much took care of a hog building in a few hours. Uh, damage that uh, was not going to be repairable. It had to. St- it has to be rebuilt. And again, the uh, the analogy is clear. Uh, sometimes our words can do damage that maybe isn't irreparable, but it's close to that if we're not careful. The other thing that fires fires are funny things. They can smolder for a while and then they can reignite and they can burn on for a while. And I think the comparison there is. I think we should be careful not to stoke flames. In other words, um, you know, um, if we know that a certain subject or a certain, uh, you know, response or whatever will, will call someone to blow up or cause a poor response, um, maybe just be best to let it, let it unsaid. But then on the other hand, um, there are such a thing as controlled fires. Sometimes we, we set fires intentionally, but we control them. And I would just like to make the analogy there that at times perhaps it is good to say well-timed pointed words, but before we say them, let's be ready to control the situation. Let's put plenty of context around it and be ready to not allow that fire to get out, out of hand. You know, when we, uh, when we drive over to the Marshfield area at times, um, you get into Wisconsin, and maybe they have it here in Minnesota too, but I notice it when we're over there. You get into these areas where it's wooded areas, and they'll, they'll have smoky bear there, and it'll say fire danger, low, high, medium, whatever. Um, I, I wonder if we shouldn't think about that with our words too before we say things. What's the fire danger here? Uh, what kind of potential outcome could this be? Is this person a person that uh, there's a really high fire danger if I say the wrong thing? Um, probably, probably something for us to think about. Verse six um, uses some very uh, 
big and sweeping and strong statements. It talks about uh, the, the phrase, it's a world of iniquity. It defileth the whole body. It setteth on fire the course of nature. Those are huge, bold, big statements that James makes here. So what's what can we learn from, the, from those statements? Well, I would say the wrong use of the tongue, such as repeated statements of degradation to people and our influence or authority, can affect a person for a very long time negatively. And I have a friend who, um, whose wife grew up in an unfortunate home situation where um, her father had a real anger problem and would yell at his children a lot. That's, that was, unfortunately, he was not a believer, so we have to understand that part of it. But yeah, that was, that was the way he related to his children. And um, to this day, this, uh, this lady, uh, it has affected her in strange ways, so that even if there is a, a speaker comes into their church, and uh, as some speakers are, are tend to do, they get a little lively and animated and a little loud with their preaching. Uh, she cringes at that. She does not enjoy that because of her, of her past experiences in life. I just say that to say that this is setting on course. This is setting, um, in other words, her, her experience as a child set a course for her life that she has to deal with because of uh, somebody's uh, un- improper use of their tongue. And I would say that we as parents should be careful to exemplify to our children that our problems or people that we maybe consider a problem are not dealt with by using harsh words about them or to them. Most likely, if we do the opposite, we will produce a posterity that are very difficult people to get along with. And by doing that, we have set a course. We've set a course that could possibly go for generations. So how am I known? Am I known as a person that will willingly lash out at people when interacting with them? If I am, I probably will likely set off a cascade of other problems. Most likely, I'll be lonely, and nobody will really want to be around me all that much. I probably will have many interpersonal relationship problems, and I could possibly even have a problem holding down a job uh, and working with others on committees and so on. Again, I I just say these are the things that set a course in our lives that are not good. And then James goes on to, uh, actually, he uses the words here, that it is set on fire of hell. Uh, he concludes the whole matter by saying, if you want to understand where this kind of a tongue is getting its power, look no further than hell. And we certainly know what hell is controlled by. It's a place by, that is inhabited by the devil and his angels, the Bible tells us. So, we certainly don't want to be those kinds of people, um, as long as we have tongues that are not controlled by the blood of Jesus, I think we will have problems that are very undesirable. And um, I think uh, I think the lesson here that James has for us is well understood. Look at verse uh, 7 and 8 here. And as I read over this, I'm like, you know what? Reading through this is extremely discouraging. Um, it almost would sound like in verse 7 and 8, he's like, you can take birds and beasts and lions and 
wolves and you, you name the animal. And if we work with that thing enough, we can generally tame it. We can get it to a point where it'll let us come up and rub it, right? Or it'll maybe do a few tricks for us. But he said, the tongue can no man tame. Well, that, that's real encouraging to say that you can go out here and tame a lion, but good luck taming your tongue. So did, is that what James is actually trying to do this? Is he trying to discourage us here? Or what is the, the lesson we can, we can learn from this? Well, I think James is basically telling us he wants to drive home the point just how, what kind of a job this is going to be. This is not going to be that easy. And this, is, this little member that we have is a very dangerous little thing. As I think of taming animals, um, I haven't done a lot of that in my life. I can't say that I've ever taken a wild beast and necessarily tamed it. Um, but, you know, we, we've, we've attempted to uh, work with our dogs there some at home and, and teach them silly things. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's interesting how, how much time it takes to, um, to do this. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of time to, you know, teach a dog to sit and stay and shake and whatever other little silly thing you want to teach him. But if you, you persevere enough and you give him enough treats and you pet him enough and you're kind enough to him, well, you eventually get there. Most times you can succeed with those things. But I had to think of this. Try that with a cat. Do you ever see a cat that would sit and shake and, you know, jump through a hoop and stuff? I have a feeling you'd be working a lot longer with a silly cat than you would a dog. And and then I also had to think of, um, you know, you, you'll hear occasionally of, you know, some lion or boa constrictor or some, some lousy creature out there that somebody took and they tamed the thing. Only years into it, this tame thing turned on them and attacked them and killed them. You hear that sometimes. At some point, that old nature is underneath that animal and will... Uh, will turn on on the very person that tamed it. I think the lesson is clear. A, it'll probably take us a lifetime to tame our tongues. In fact, we probably will never completely succeed. Uh, There's a very good chance if you have your tongue pretty well under control where you want it, look out. It may may turn on you in an an unthought-through moment. And let's always remember that, yes, we we are Christians, we have been changed, but we still have the old nature in us that can rise up at any time. And we need to, we need to realize that that, there's always that possibility that we can slip up. So let's, uh, let's be persistent. Let's be focused. Let's not stop trying, but, uh, let's understand what we're dealing with. Verse eight tells us that our tongue is full of deadly poison. Again, it seems like James just wants to drive home how potent this thing is. You know, we do use deadly poison. We do use it, but we use it very carefully, and we know how deadly it is. James then, in verse uh, 9 through 12, he uh, he goes into this thing that, um, you know, the very same member that we use to bless God, we use to offend our brothers, to curse our, our human brothers. They're made just like God, he says. And then he asks a few questions. He says, can a fountain bring forth good and bad? Is that possible? You know, can an, can an apple tree uh, give pears? I mean, what, what do you expect when you go up to an apple tree? Or when you go out and you see a thistle in your pasture, um, 
do you think maybe tomorrow when you go past it, you'll pick pecans off of it, perhaps? That's no, just silly. We don't, we don't think these things, do we? And so he says, neither do you expect both good water and bad water to come out of the same place. He said, either, either it's good or it's bad. You know, whenever I drink from a well or I take a drink of water uh, somewhere and the water's good, I generally give that no thought. Um, I just am glad for the good water, and I drink it, and I, I assume it's good. It tastes good, smells good, it's good water. But if I drink up a, um, uh, um, you know, my, my parents back there at home where we, we grew up, uh, there was something with the water that if you didn't do something to it before you drank it, it smelled like rotten eggs, and it was not a very pleasant, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. And we didn't drink that stuff or attempt to drink it and think, wow, what a, what a great well we have here. This is, this is wonderful. You know, we didn't think that. We thought there's something weird with this well. It's not giving good water. I think the lesson is, uh, is very obvious. You know, if it doesn't sound good, it probably isn't good. I think that's, that's the safe conclusion. Another lesson I think we can learn from this is that it is very easy to contaminate a good well or a good fountain. It doesn't take much, and you can contaminate a large body of water and make it unfit for consumption. But now try to do the opposite. Try to take a bad well and make it good. It's expensive, and it might even be impossible. Usually such a thing is just abandoned. So again, the lesson is so clear. A few words can contaminate so much, and to mop up the mess can be so hard. So let's protect the good. Let's make sure that we don't let the good become contaminated. In closing here, I'd like to uh, read a few other verses out of the uh, New Testament that relate to this subject. Paul had uh, a few things to say to the Ephesian church. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. In Ephesians 4.29, he says this. If you look at that word corrupt, it means rotten or worthless. So do not let any rotten or worthless communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are concealed unto the day of redemption. So the simple question is this. Do the words that I speak minister grace, or are they rotten and worthless? Very simple, very simple conclusions we can come to. He also has a list of things that he says that are part of the children of disobedience and are part of the works of darkness. And he gives a list of these things, and I'm going to read them to you. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. We talked about some of that in our Sunday school lesson, didn't we? Now, here's some other things that should not be once named among us as become a saints. Neither filthiness, which would basically mean obscenities, nor foolish talking, which is silliness or buffoonery or constant joking, nor jesting, which means coarse talk which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You know, I simply don't even have to comment on that. We, we get that. We understand it. 
And yet, whenever we think back over our words over the last month, year, whatever, have we ever been uh, caught up in foolish talking or jesting? Has that uh, been anything that we've been a part of? It's good things for us to think about. You know, this, what I just read out of Ephesians, I think is what James would lump in with bitter water. But there's good news here. There's also the fresh water part of it. While fresh water will not proceed out of a bitter fountain, it will come out of a good fountain. And so there's a positive thing to this. And I'm going to read to you a very, a very familiar verse out of Proverbs 25. This is what I would call fresh water. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Now, I'm not exactly sure what apples of gold and pictures of silver look like. I'm not sure that I know exactly what he was referring to, but I know from the words that he's using that it's something extremely positive and pleasant. Now, that's that comes out of Proverbs 25 and verse 11. So he says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Now, here's what verse 12 says, and this is a verse that we don't read along with it, but perhaps we should. It says, as an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. Now, you think through that. You could say it like this. So is the person that carefully chooses his words to a person who carefully hears what he says. So the so proverb writer is, is saying that there there is times where I will have to be reproved. And when you come and reprove me, if you will use kind words, and I will, with, with gratitude that you were brave enough and, to come and talk to me, will listen carefully. He says, this is like an ornament of gold. This is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. This is like an earring of gold. This is like so unbelievably such an unbelievably good thing has happened that I can't even begin to uh, quantify this with anything that we would understand as um, uh, worth a lot of money, okay? I don't know if I can say it any clearer than that or not, but this is an amazing thing that he says to us here. So, in conclusion, let's be people that send out fresh water, right? I mean, here's the conclusion of the matter. We went through all this exercise to say that you really want to. You really want to have some friends in life. You really want to um, um, get by without a lot of knocks and heartache. Just watch what you say. Encourage others. Teach others. Admonish others. Lift up other people up. The very same tool that we can do so much harm and so much damage with, damage with can be flipped around, and we can do so much good with. So I would like to encourage us today to take our tongues. Be aware of what we're dealing with and purposefully use them for good.